Hello, welcome to another episode of the Transit Matters podcast in partnership with Mass Inc. I'm Josh Fairchild. I'm your host. I'm a board member of Transit Matters. Um, today I'm joined by Jim Aloisi, also on the board of Transit Matters. And Stacey Thompson, the executive director of Livable Streets. Today is a very special year-end episode. Thank you for joining us, Stacey. We're going to be talking about the year in review, what happened in 2019 uh, in transit, and what we're looking forward to in 2020. Thanks, Josh. And Stacey, it seems like we were just doing this together, but a year's gone by. Yeah, I, you know, we tried to predict the future, and I think we were spot on last year, so let's see if we can do it again. We'll do it again. We'll brush off the crystal ball, and uh, let me kick it off by, I want to give an idea of maybe five things that I consider achievements and positive things, the good, and then we'll go into some of the things that maybe were a little disappointing, but let's talk about the good stuff first. So I think five really good things have happened this year. Uh, one is uh, regional rail. That vision was embraced by the Fiscal Management and Control Board, who also did a couple of things that I think are really important. They adopted uh, what they called a Phase 1 um, initiative, which will include electrifying the Providence-Stoughton line, um, improving and electrifying the Fairmont line, and the line from Lynn to Boston, the Economic Justice line, among other things. Um, and they directed the general manager to come back with a plan for a discrete division of the T that will be funded to oversee regional rail. I think it's real important. The other things that I think are, are, were uh, achievements this year were having the red-blue connector included on the CIP, on the MBTA's official plan for investment, having bus rapid transit take hold uh, in many communities in Boston and around Greater Boston. Um, I think the conversation about the Transit Climate Initiative, TCI, has been an achievement, uh, which will be directed toward improving climate and also improving um, low fossil fuel modes of transport. And then I think there's been the final achievement of the year, and it may be a little bit of a weak achievement, but I think it's worth noting we have developed, we being the community at large, the business community, the advocacy community, a general consensus about the urgent need for net new revenue to fund our transportation needs, both state of good repair and modernization investments. I think that consensus has been built, and I think it will bear fruit in 2020. Uh, those are my thoughts. Stacey, what do you think? Yeah, I would completely agree. And I would say a, a theme in some of what you um, you discussed there is that we're seeing, a um, for the first time, I think in a long time, a, a consensus building around a vision, a vision for rail, a vision for a future that is, um, is, is better for everyone. And so I think we should be excited about that. But I would actually add what I'm going to call two hidden gems, things wow. that are not as big as regional rail, but are really impactful. And the first um, is buried in sort of a deluge of of bad news that we'll get into in a few minutes um, was uh, a, a really great hidden gem in the delay of the AFC 2.0 program, and that is that the Fairmont line is going to be getting Charlie card readers. And this mm. is something that the folks on that line have been asking for for years. It has been um, prohibitively expensive and complicated for um, folks in that community to access the service properly. And so it seems very small, but it is really, really important, and we should be excited about it. And, and um, you know, all head to the Fairmont line early in 2020 with our Charlie cards. Check it out. And the second piece 
um, that got hidden, I think five hours into a control board meeting, is that the um, FMCB approved the purchase of 60 new buses. Um, and for those of you who don't know, right now the, the T is running about 67 buses short of meeting its own service standards. It just simply does not have enough buses. So this is a really important first step to closing that gap. And for many years they have been saying they cannot absorb another bus into the system because they don't have the facilities, but they've figured out how to do this and we should be excited. It's it's demonstrating that the T is starting to do some of these quick fixes, move fast and fix the the things that they can in the moment. And that should be positive and, and well-received. I think those are great. I'm going to add a third hidden gem. Uh, and that is, I think the T has really upped its game uh, in, in terms of its communications and particularly on, you know, I use so Twitter uh, fair amount. Um, since they brought over Danny Levy from Massport, I think that whole operation has been revitalized for the good. And I, I have seen, I think most people would agree, a recognizable, a discernible improvement in the way the T responds, uh, particularly on social media, to customer concerns, queries, and complaints. It may not always be pretty, but there's a responsiveness there and a tone of voice and attitude that's positive that speaks well for the T. So I think T gets some credit. That's a hidden gem uh, for upping its game on comms. I, I have three things that I think two of them overlap um, but could use some more emphasis. And um, So those first two actually both have to do with bus. And one is the, the fact that um, Monica Tibbetts-Nutt on the control board when they were voting on the uh, regional rail um, package of, of resolutions. She added a fifth resolution for a bus transformation office, which its language in, in the resolution echoes very, it's basically the same language as they have for regional rail. And I think the idea was you, you don't do what you don't staff, especially at an agency like the MBTA. Uh, if somebody doesn't have dedicated staff, it just, you know, becomes somebody's partial job when they have extra time and there's no extra money for it. So both of these regional rail transformation and, and bus transformation offices are going are gonna to mean that there's something real. There's people really dedicated and money dedicated staff-wise uh, and capacity to making these things happen. That bus transformation office coincides with a, a bus network redesign that is uh, going to become uh, an actual um, plan. Uh, right now, it's a very nebulous thing. They have a consultant working on what are going to be the principles of the redesign. They did some better bus uh, route tweaks that were revenue neutral in the past year, which which was nice to see some improvements. I think it's been a mixed bag as far as riders' experience of those improvements. Um, but those two bus things together uh, are, are great news for the system. Um, another uh, thing that, that we learned about this year um, was um, the safety report that came out. And I actually look at it as a, um, a positive development um, because it's not like anything new. Like the, the, the situation was the situation. Now it's s simply, you know, written on paper um, in cold black ink. And I, I find that to be positive because it really um, um, dispels the narrative that's been out there that um, the T doesn't need more money. And well, Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I agree. I think that I was going to have the safety report included on my list of disappointments, mm -hmm. but I take the point and I've said publicly that the Fiscal Management Control Board really needs to be applauded because they had the guts to commission that report and they had the, the wherewithal to make it, and the secretary as well, to make it uh, transparent. Not an easy thing to do. It's not a pretty report, but the transparency and the commitment to, to candid, candidness and candor um, really speaks well for the institution and their commitment to addressing the problem. So I take the point that it's a, it's a positive. The word guts is right on the money. I think this was the year that the control board um, 
you know, got more than comfortable in their position and began to feel comfortable um, showing some guts and, and, and going out on a limb and demanding things of the agency, whether or not the administration was, was in favor of it. And I think the buses is a good example because the, the, the agency would have said, we don't, we don't have any, we don't know what we're going to do with these 60, 60 plus buses. And the control board in my conversations with some members there, they've said, we, we, we can't say no. We can't wait until we know exactly where you're going to park these every night. We need to order them. We can't wait two years. We've got a contract option we can jump onto and get them now um, and put this, the staff in a situation where they're going to have to figure it out one way or another, but the buses are coming. And, and both Josh and Stacy, let's dwell a minute on bus. That's a little pun, by the way. Um, the, let's, let's dwell less, <laughs> dwell less than we did in the past. A little bit on bus. Um, I just want to put a, and maybe this is a subject for the future, but I just want to mention it because it's in my mind right now. We're talking about regional rail, we're talking about bus. Something in common happening in both of those arenas as a future thing that I think people need to be aware of and hopefully support. And that is a future not that far in the, in the distance where both regional rail and the entire bus system are powered by electric. And we're looking at a regional rail, part of the phase one regional rail plan is electrifying the Providence Line, Fairmount, Lynn, to Boston. But we're also having an earnest conversation about electric bus. Now, this debate about trolley electric and electric, the point being part of the way we're going to reduce emissions in Metro Boston, part of the way we're going to have a more climate-friendly public transportation network regionally is to eliminate the use of dirty diesel locomotives and to transform both the rail system and the bus system to fully electric systems. It'll take a little time, but I think that conversation has taken root. I don't know if you want to elaborate yeah, on that, Stacey. I, I would, I just, yeah, I would say that we've um, been part of a lot of conversations over the years that have been like, we need to start thinking about resilient infrastructure. We need to start thinking about electrification. And now we're actually seeing some more concrete steps toward transitioning that reality. You know, I would add, um, when the T put in this order for 60 buses, they are all hybrid. Um, there was never a, a question that they would be choosing diesel buses, and I think that that's a good sign. But um, perhaps as we transition to areas for improvement in 2020, um, you know, that is as a very small step toward a much bigger process that we need to start. You know, putting putting our, our money where our mouth is and actually transitioning both the fleet and commuter rail in in 2020. So let me play um, a role I'm accustomed to, which is a little bit of Debbie Downer here. And I'm going to move us from the good to the not so good. So what are the things that come on my list of the disappointments in 2019? Um, I would say, and again, in no particular order, clearly the fact that we've got no legislative action on a comprehensive funding plan is a disappointment. I think the issue of traffic congestion is overall a disappointment, both because we're worse than the nation, according to very uh, reputable national data, but also because I was disappointed with the MassDOT report on congestion, particularly its emphasis on managed lanes and its still, for me, jaw-dropping statement that we have traffic congestion because the economy is good, as opposed to we have traffic congestion because we don't give people good modal alternatives. Uh, another disappointment, uh, again, both sides of the coin, on the safety review, we give credit to people for making it transparent and commissioning it. Nevertheless, statements that the T lacks a safety culture and the T doesn't even have decent KPIs 
in that arena. That's disappointing, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Key performance indicators. Key performance (laughs) indicators. Thank you for expanding on my acronym. Um, AFC2, the delay and the cost overruns, major disappointment. Automated fare collection. Automated fare collection, once again. Thank you. Um, And then for me, um, the lack of resolution on... West, what I call the West Station issue, which is both keeping two tracks open at all times during turnpike construction on the Worcester line and committing to a, a West Station design that's robust with all four platforms, uh, tracks rather, and uh, that needs to be resolved. It's still unresolved. There are a lot of issues unresolved in connection with Alston Landing. I think those are the things that for me, contribute to a sense of disappointment. I'll say two other things. Fare increases, definitely a disappointment for 2019. And recent data showing that emissions from automobiles regionally, they're up 24%. That's not a good metric. We shouldn't be happy about it. Again, Stacy, what do you think? What else should we not happy about, what, Am I Am yeah. I too much well, of a downer here? I think, Jim, we can tell you're in your comfort zone right now because <laughs> you just keep going and going. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not going to pile on. I think we're in agreement on a lot of these and they're big. But I would say that there are a couple of key theme, themes. Um, you know, I would really love for um, the governor to make a New Year's resolution that says no more reports without action. Um, you know, I think that we saw this with the congestion report. Um, you know, just to remind folks, this was a, a suggested alternative to actually um, doing a, a congestion pricing pilot, that the legislature wanted to do a pilot, and the, and, and the response that we got was this report, and the report didn't really lead to meaningful action. And so I think whether it's the safety report, um, whether it's the congestion report, or anything else we're putting on paper, if we don't see some sort of short-term action, long-term strategy attached to those reports, then why are we writing and spending the time in the first place? The it's time Transportation report. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, we we have to have action, um, and this is this is true at the legislature. Well, we need to move forward. Um, and you know, again, sort of pivoting, the eternal optimist in the room. Um, yeah, I'm really frustrated by the fare increase. Uh, it's great that we saw a low income fare report come out again by the T, but it sort of left us in a okay. Now what do we do? We know we need an agency partner. How do we move this forward? Um, and I think that this between that and AFC 2.0, it really opens up the conversation of, okay, what should our fare system look like? What is an f- equitable fare system? Should we free the bus? You know, how, how do we implement low-income fares? And I think that that's an opportunity for us in 2020 to really get it right. And I think the when you mentioned the means, means-based testing for fares, um, the agency involvement is, you know, the the staff came back with a report to the control board this week, and they, they had been analyzing some options for adjusting fares and, and being concerned about means uh, the means that people have to pay the fares. Um, and and one, of the th- one of the recommendations coming out of that was, you know, the MBTA shouldn't necessarily be the agency that has its own process for determining people's means to pay fares. There's other agencies that already do that, and we can kind of piggyback on those agencies' proficiency in that area um, just to explain um, the agency cooperation that's, that's probably helpful for that. I agree. Instead of continuing to dwell, <laughs> we'll, we'll think areas for improvement or things that we, we are looking forward uh, to see happen. New Year's resolutions, exactly. New Year's resolutions, potentially. Yeah. Um, for so, MassDOT, for the MBTA, the legislature. And for us. And for us. <laughs> so obviously a few of them are we have to see some sort of funding bill, um, which, which has to happen anyway, but also with regional rail um, being a mandate from the board, there needs to be funding. It's kind of an unfunded mandate at this, at this uh, moment. 
Um, so there's that. Um, we're going to see reporting from both of these bus transformation and rail transformation offices that are getting started up as to how they uh, envision beginning to implement um, phase one. Um, of their respective um, um, dictates. Uh, part of that is going to be a report also, these are, these are happening in January, these reports, and part of that's going to be a report about um, this bus uh, network redesign, which is going to be exciting to begin to see happen. Um, another one is, is governance. Um, the, the control board uh, is become very proficient in doing what it does, and um, just like that, they're... Um, their term is going to be expiring this summer. Well, let's talk about governance. I think it's the sleeper issue. It's the perhaps the most important issue facing all of us um, as we enter 2020. It's impossible for me to think that anyone thinks it's a good idea, given the gravity of the safety review report, given, given the gravity of the delays and the overruns on AFC2 and everything else that the T is doing, that we should have a new board come into office in six months. One of the think about two of the things the safety report said very clearly. One problem is a revolving door problem. Too many changes at the top level too quickly that reduces stability and institutional memory. That's exactly what changing this board out in June will do. It will be violating one of the key cautions of the safety review report. The other thing the safety review report said was there are too many meetings. The once every week meeting is too much, so we're going to cut back to two. That's just what you don't want with a new board that's trying to figure out what the heck is going on, right? So having some stability with this fiscal management control board is probably the best way to ensure that all the good things we're talking about actually have a chance to percolate and take effect. Now, so I've been saying let's at least ask the legislature to – extend the fiscal, this fiscal management and control board for maybe six months. The right answer is probably a year. And then use that time to really have a more thoughtful, which we haven't had, conversation about governance. Because governance really does have a lot to do with how agencies like the T perform. Uh, I just think it's a mistake to change horses in the middle of the stream, even if we carry one or two of the current board members over, it's not enough. This board has won the confidence, I think, of, of the public, of the legislature, of the advocacy community, and of the business community. And given all the things I just mentioned, I think it's folly to think in six months we should just abandon it and start from scratch. Yeah, and, and I would I would add a couple of things, and, and this goes back to the good things that have happened. Um, more than in, in 2019, um, when you look at transit boards across the country, I would say that the FMCB is one of the most effective, um, and they have had one of the biggest challenges. And so I, I think that looking um, at that con that level of consistency and really focusing on why they have been so great at governance, which we have had have been lacking so much, is, is something that we need to center on and focus on in 2020. I would also pivot and say I want to see this sort of trickle all the way down and really see the T focusing on human capital in, in 2020. Um, we know from the safety report that we need to be investing in just human beings on the ground, really focusing on the operating side. And so I would like to see stronger governance at all levels of the MBTA and, um, and at MassDOT in 2020. I think that the uh, there's consensus forming um, not only in this room, but um, w within the larger uh, stakeholder advocate um, and, and elected community that the control board um, has worked, is working, um, and that it needs to be extended in some form. Um, 
one of the I know that Jim, you you kind of spoke you know ill of of reducing the meetings. I think what you hear from both sides, the staff and the board members themselves, is that they just can't handle the pace of mm. doing a, a meeting every week, and that um, you know no one can say without trying that two meetings a month is is enough. But it, it sounds like it kind of has to be, whether it's going to be every other week or, or twice a month. Um, so I think that the extension is going to include something like that if I'm going to, you know, prognosticate. Another thing is that the control board members are, aren't currently compensated at all, and I don't know if a lot of people realize that, um, but that's that contributes to, I think, their sense of just complete um, burnout. Like, you still see the fire in their eyes, but I can tell that they feel like they're getting to the end of a marathon here. And I hope that if we're going to extend this, then we could allow uh, a few, that, that a few would be willing to renew, um, because one of the things that we really are going to need to see if this is going to continue to be a board that, that goes forward is um, some staggered terms so that you, you never are losing all your institutional memory all at once. I think if you ask this board to stay around for six more months or even 12, they'd agree to do it. They, they, if there's one thing this board has shown, it's that it's very public interest oriented and very much into the mission of turning this agency around and doing it in a way that, as I say, has really won the confidence of every group that I know from the business community, the advocacy community, uh, and, and the legislature, and I get, and the governor, I, I suspect. So it just doesn't make sense to, to change it. So um, I'll extend my 2020, um, I don't know if this is a prediction or, or a plea of something that really needs to, to be in the scope of the, the funding um, discussion and governance discussion is, I remember last year sitting uh, in, in this um, position, I predicted that uh, RTAs, um, the regional transit authorities, um, might be ripe for um, some governance uh, reform or restructuring of some type um, because the prior um, legislative session ended with the legislature being very unsatisfied with the regional transit authorities and had sort of given them um, some additional um, additional money on top of what they had initially planned um, to allocate to the RTAs, um, but with some accountability measures worked in. And uh, you're seeing very uneven performance in pretty much in every way from the RTAs, which hasn't changed from recent history. And the the magnifying glass is going to continue to be on them for, for three reasons. Um, one is governance needs to be governance writ large. We need to find a way to expand um, the governance and the accountability and the improvements, the service, um, all around the Commonwealth. And the biggest reason for that is the regional rail is going to put so much more emphasis on the the, the needs of the bus systems in the other um, cities and towns that are going to be serviced by regional rail to also have excellent bus service and connections. Um, and so the governance question needs to cover also that, and the bus transformation needs to also be expanded to think about the, the bus service in the regional transit authorities. And we can do this. The good news is this can be phased. Because we're, we're phasing the regional rail, the line-by-line -line approach, we can also phase um, the RTAs that are being affected by regional rail. Yeah, and I would add that I also think that we owe the RTA some financial stability and that that needs to be part of the conversation as we pivot toward the legislature in 2020. And, you know, I think we all um, are hungry to see what this uh, transportation finance package is going to look like. And I want to throw it back to you all and say, what do you what do you think and hope we are going to see from the legislature in 2020? I am hoping we're going to have a fairly quick action on a couple of things. First of all, I'd like, you know, a, a gas tax of some type, probably a gas tax that gets phased in over a period of three years. Um, I think we need to do that, number one. Number two, I think we need to redefine legislatively the metropolitan highway system. Right now, for listeners who don't know, 
the Metropolitan Highway System is basically the turnpike from Route 128 into Boston and the harbor crossings, the bridge and the two tunnels. That system was designed right after the construction of the Big Dig as a way to fund the operation and maintenance of that system. But if you think about what the real metro highway system is today, it's much more than that. And I think regional equity requires a rethink and a redefinition of what the metro highway system is. And for me, that would include basically all of the interstate and state road system, the major ones that come into the city from the arc that is Route 128. If you redefine the metro highway system that way, a better city has a plan. I, full disclosure, I worked with them to develop it. I think it's a good plan. Um, if you do that, you'd solve the regional equity issue in an instant. You would also begin the process of unlocking the jobs-killing traffic congestion that is hurting everybody within the metro Boston area. So I think that's one thing that's critical. I also think the legislature should act decisively on raising the fees on ride-hailing, on Uber and Lyft. We are among the lowest in the nation. It's an embarrassment. It's inappropriate. We need to step up with the times. Um, we also need to enact um, regional ballot initiative legislation. And the last thing I'll say is the mayor's got a bill. It's a good bill that would give him the authority to assess a fee on commercial parking spaces in the city of Boston. I hope that gets passed. So one of the things you didn't mention, Jim, unless I missed it, was the reason for redefining the Metropolitan Highway System is because of the ability to raise revenue from that, that new definition. Well, yeah, by definition, you'll raise revenue that I think, I would hope, would be used in part to invest in the regional rail system. But for me, the main reason for doing through, it... Through tolling or some other congestion through, pricing. Yeah, through tolling or some congestion pricing, uh, uh, some appropriate pricing. We don't price roads, right, we, except for the turnpike and... We're subsidizing people driving every day, and we're not doing them a favor by subsidizing them because the cost to them in fuel, in time, in aggravation, in loss of quality of life, um, you, you can't monetize it. So we're not doing anybody a favor by pretending that use of the metro highway system is quote-unquote free. It's not free. It shouldn't be free. We need to price it accordingly, just like parking needs to be priced accordingly. Jumping in, I um, totally agree that we need to be talking about road pricing. And, you know, what I would say, in addition to the gas tax, which I think absolutely has to be on the table, just to even get us to level up to where our, our peers are um, in the region, I also want to um, just say that we absolutely need some sort of congestion pricing pilot. We need some action um, from the legislature in the new year. Um, and, and to really, you know, the I think the ship has sailed on what is congestion pricing, should we do it, and really about, like, how do we write pricing? our mm -hmm. roads and what is the vision for that and how do we do it in the next five to ten years. Um, I just also want to flag two other things that you know I would like to see and something that is coming down the pipeline. The first thing that I would like to see is the legislature take action on low-income fares for the MBTA and potentially making fares free for um, RTAs. I, I think the, the question of you know, we know that our commuter rail, that our bus systems, they cost too much, period, and we have an opportunity with the delay of AFC 2.0 to get it right and to mandate it legislatively. So I'd like to see some action on that tied to these questions of how do we 
raise money for the system. And uh, the transportation and climate initiative is happening. You know, we did see a, a draft um, a draft come out this week with a, a range of options. Um, we know that New Hampshire is likely not in, but it was likely they were never going to be in. And this is a, a massive, massive initiative. Um, and I'd love to see some thinking on exactly, you know, how we might expend those funds once they make it to the state in 2022, 2023. Stacey, I want to do, I'm going to bounce off what you just said. I want to disprove a myth, which is if you're over 50, you're never going to change your mind about anything. So I've changed my mind about the topic of bus and fares. So just to be provocative for a second, because you you mentioned, I was a little bit put off by the Lawrence free bus, you know, because this is, it's nice, but I I look at it as a one-off and as a gimmick. And, And what I think the right answer is free bus across the state. And that includes the T. Bus fares for the T, the T takes in about 635, maybe roughly million dollars a year, 635 million in total fares. Of that total, about 30 million is from bus. It could easily be subsidized. Now, that doesn't mean we won't invest in bus. If we're serious about improving urban mobility and decongesting our roads, we've got to elevate bus by, with dedicated lanes, with all the features of bus rapid transit, even if it's not gold standard. We need to have, we need to have all-door boarding. We need to have frequencies of service. We need to have tra- traffic signal priority. We need to have safe, dedicated lanes. The bus should be free. If you wanted to monetize the cost of what AFC2 is going to cost to get the bus fare collection in place and then monetize proof of payment, put a, put a price on it. I think we're just barking off the, up the wrong tree um, and so just Jim Aloisi personally, not of an official position of anybody or anything, I think it's time for us to think seriously about reimagining how we charge for bus and also how we improve the bus experience to make it something that really responds to today's needs and values. So that's just – I'm putting that out. Wow, as, Jim throws stay the gauntlet. Tuned. I throw the gun. So I, I wanted to make you mentioned Lawrence. Uh, the, yes. the reference there was to um, the city of Lawrence uh, finding some essentially some extra money and right. the couch cushions of the budget and deciding to make three bus routes free. And they've had I think a twenty percent increase in ridership as a as what seems to be a direct result of that. Good proof of concept, by the way. That's true. A, a lot of people would say that um, you know nothing in in a, in a smaller sm- smaller system uh, in, than Boston would probably be. Um, um, equivalent as far as a, as a proof of concept, uh, not that I'm saying that, but you know there are a lot of medium and small systems that have that have gone with the free fare and have had some similar results. A lot of people would say, you know, basically any system that doesn't uh, get a net net revenue from the fare collection because there's a cost to fare collection, they might as well just go free. And I think you're seeing that beginning to happen in more and more places. Most recently, I think Kansas City did that. Uh, Boston's not the case for that. <clears throat> as far as not being, it's it's a very, it's a net positive fare system, mm-hmm. uh, as as you pointed out earlier, the bus is a pretty small um, slice of that. There's there's equity arguments and there's there's operational arguments. Um, automated fare collection, um, AFC 2.0, which is the next generation, um, is a three quarter of a million dollar procurement process that just got more expensive um, because there's lots of problems with with the contract and the the ability to deliver in the mechanisms that were previously envisioned. And so that's being delayed for a few years, and it's getting more expensive. And it's a real chance to sort of reckon with um, what we're paying for and what we're getting. And uh, I think that's a, that's a to be continued as we continue to wrestle with that, both on the stakeholder side and the agency side. Mm-hmm. It's clear that they're doing a lot to, to deal with this. On the operations side, collecting fares on the bus 
is one of the significant sources of um, dwell time um, problems with the bus taking a long time as everyone gets on and pays their fare, their cash, their crumpled up bills, whatever it is. So, you know, getting fares off the bus could immediately, you know, increase um, the speed of the bus on its trip. Maybe you could say maybe, you know, somewhere between 5 and 20 percent. Um, depending on the route and how congested it is right. and how many people are paying with cash. And, oh, speed might <clears throat> increase ridership. Wouldn't that right. be interesting? So, so the envisioned, the envisioned <laughs> AFC 2.0 is trying to do just that with a system that you know, doesn't, doesn't require cash, and there's a lot of issues tied up in, in actually implementing that. Um, but you could do the same thing by just stopping to collect. Um, Correct. There's a lot of arguments on, on the other side that I don't have to make here today, beca- you know, but because because I know we're running out of time. But it's it's something that we will continue to explore. I think all of the stakeholders will. Yeah, um, and and to help close us off, I think that this is a perfect example of something that will be a central conversation in 2020. And so uh, maybe to close things, I'm I'm curious, uh, Transit Matters colleagues, what is uh, your resolution for 2020? Well, before I before I'll let Josh do the resolution. I want to do a prediction, Ooh, if you don't mind. or your prediction. Legislature is going to act decisively, and it's going to act in the areas that we've talked about. Prediction one. Prediction two. We're going to have closure on West Station in a way that I think will be responsive to the needs of our economy. Prediction number three. We're going to have bus rapid transit on Summer Street, come heck or high water. Those are my three predictions. And I'll leave it to you, Josh, to sort of talk about Transit Matters agenda. What do we see going forward? Yeah, I think all the things we've discussed here today are, are playing our are, are central um, priorities for Transit Matters. And the challenge for us is that we will be uh, putting increasingly more resources into um, the oversight of the regional rail um, phasing process and making sure that um, we feel like we led on the vision and now we need to uh, also lead on the implementation. Um, and same thing, uh, we were very involved in uh, night bus um, that we sort of got a half loaf on. And um, we're going to be coming back in a big way in bus advocacy, um, kind of for all the reasons we discussed here today, um, with partners like Livable Streets and, um, and others that are, that are active here and advocating for, for better bus. Um, and so we'll be active on all, all of these fronts, I think. Yeah, and I'm going to make a prediction and a resolution. Uh, prediction, we will actually see those elusive orange line cars early in 2020. Oh, that was a big disappointment. I believe, I believe in the orange and red line cars, and I believe they're coming, and they will feel great. Um, and I'm going to say our New Year's resolution across the board is to ask for more. Um, we uh, That is the job of an advocacy organization, and um, I think that you're going to see more from all of us in 2020. Uh, we'll be having uh, more events as an organization um, for uh, for members and for those who aren't members. And so, you know, stay tuned for that and follow us on our social media um, sources so that you can always be up to date. Um, some of us are active on Twitter occasionally. So Yeah, some, some, some at 6 in the morning and some later. <laughs> so, uh, you know, thank you for joining us, Stacey. Um, Jim, as always, it's been a pleasure. I want to thank the Josh. listener and uh, wish a happy new year to, to all those out there that are Uh, continuing to uh, um, ride the rails and the buses with us. 